is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Welcome back to Conversations with Saruti with Ben Saruti here at Birds on the Black. Uh, remember, we are in the midst of our dirty, flirty, prospects after drag crossover episodes with uh, prospect, uh, our resident expert at least, uh, over at Birds on the Black, prospect guy, prospect guru, whatever you want to call him, Kyle Reese. Um Real fast, let's let's go ahead and avoid forever calling me an expert or a guru. Uh, how about prospect asshole? Or if you want to say PG thirteen, uh, is is jerk off PG thirteen? No, um, no, no, uh, no. I, I work in middle school. It most definitely is not. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'm not a I'm I'm not a guru. I'm just a guy who was lucky enough to have a lot of time uh, because nobody wants to hang out with them. Fantastic. So, uh, what, what what is it in uh, in the movie Elf? So, our resident cotton headed nitty muggins. I love it. That's oh my god! I'm I'm <laughs> buying in. If that was a stock, I'd put all my money into it. Uh oh. So so what you're telling me is you're susceptible to crypto. <laughs> yes, that's right. I I mean I still don't understand it, but I don't understand Ethernet cables or Bluetooth, and here we are. You and I both, sir. All right. Uh that may or may not have been a reference that our um wonderful technological issues on one of the earlier episodes. Um all right, so tonight we are looking at our third episode of this crossover. It is prospects number thirty through twenty-six on Kyle's countdown. This group has four uh, four position players and one pitcher on it. We are looking at number 30 is catcher Pedro Pajes. Number 29 is outfielder Matt Kaperniak. Number 28 is right-handed pitcher, just drafted this year, Austin Love. Number 27 is an outfielder, also drafted recently, Ryan Holgate. And number 26 is a third outfielder on the list. Uh, and it's either Jan or John Torres, depending on who you ask, I believe. Um, but we can touch on that when we get to him. The number 30 prospect is who I want to get to first. And uh, his name is Pedro Pajes. Uh, he's the number 30 prospect on your list. He's a catcher. Uh, I know that he just kind of hit like crazy after being drafted in 2019. Uh, I've got the stats up right now. He was 21 at the time, and, and he was a guy who had... A 291 average, 393 on base, 430 slugging, um, and, and that's as a 21-year-old in low A, so so f- not quite full season ball, um, but he played in 50 games, uh, WRC plus of 149, so his batting line was almost 50% higher than league average. This year, his K rate jumped 
some of his doubles seem to turn into some homers this year as opposed to 2019, but he just wasn't as good a hitter overall as he was in 2019. Uh, he had 130 more plate appearances, uh, but only had five less doubles and seven more homers. Uh, he scored less runs. He drove in a bunch more. He only took a few more walks, but he struck out a ton more often. Ended up with a 102 WRC+. Plus. Um, what's good for Pajes is that the Cardinals, one, they keep churning out catching prospect after catching prospect lately, it seems. But two, to me at least, what seems like is bad for Pajes is that the Cardinals have more catching prospects in the system than 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 they can churn out and put in the major leagues. Um, so what's to like about Pais and what are his chances to actually make it to the majors as a Cardinal? Nah, you know, uh, I, anytime you're going to ask me if a player, what are the players chances of making it to the, uh, I'm, I'm probably when you're talking about a guy who's maybe a little bit older, a kid who's maybe a little bit older at a level that far away in a situation where there is some catching depth in the organization, I'm going to say it's, you know, uh, uh, 20% just to uh, quote Craig Mish, uh, but also to say that I think most guys in this situation, uh, you know, maybe definitely less than 50%. Uh, if you're looking at it optimistically, but realistically, you're probably talking about less than 35%. Uh, I tend to live a little bit more pessimistic than that. So I, I would say 20 to 25%. Pajes is one of those kids it's hard to get a real feel for because of what happened with 2020. Now, all of these kids, obviously, uh, that's a throwaway line because you can say that about all of the kids. Uh, but with Pais, it's even more so because most of the struggle that Pedro Pais had it came in like the first month and month and a half of the minor league season, uh, both behind the plate and at the plate. And it was about the beginning of June. And again, the minor league season started on May 4th. Uh, it's not like major league season where it started at the beginning of April. AAA was supposed to, it didn't, uh, everything got pushed back to the beginning of May. So it wasn't until a couple weeks into June, um, and specifically from July 1st on, and the minor league season ends about the mid part of September. Uh, Pajes was just really bad. I mean, he was really, really bad for the first month of the season. And then he was a little bit better for the next two weeks. And then from, you know, the middle part of June on, he was a really productive hitter that looked like the kid who was the top 25 prospect in the organization in 2019, uh, specifically because of his bat as, as a hitting catcher. Um, there's some things behind the plate, which we'll get to here in a second. But, uh, he, you know, he his swing, it just he looks slow. You know, the best way of putting it is he just looks slow. His bat looks slow. His pitch recognition looks slow. He looks slow behind the plate. Uh, uh, everything about him just looked off. And you always worry about it uh, with a, a prospect like this because he's bigger and bulkier. You worry that these things that he does that, that slow him down will stick around. Like, it's easy to say a month into the season when you see a kid that's bigger look slower than he ever has. Like, all right, this is just his new normal. Uh, it's an easy thing that we as evaluators or watchers uh, can fall into. I know I did, uh, even though I was part of the reason I waited to release my prospect list was until the end of the year because I wanted to see how he was going to rebound. Uh, and he rebounded. He rebounded in a big way. I want to say from July 1st on, his WRC plus was like 130. Um, he was hitting extra base hits. What he does really well is he it, it's when he's trying not to do too much. And that little right field gap as a right-handed hitter and blooping balls over second baseman and first baseman's head – uh, and then turning on a pitch that he can get, that, 
that's when he's at his best. And I'm sure that that's when a lot of players are at the best, their best. But with Pajes, he can employ it. Uh, and we saw that specifically from July 1st on, uh, even earlier than that, but specifically from July 1st on. And then what we saw out of Pedro Pajes as the season continued, uh, we saw him start to turn on, on pitches more. We saw him, like, I don't remember seeing him uh, in the video I saw from college or the video I saw from 2019 at State College, see him hit a bomb, like a real live bomb. And at the end of the year, I, I want to say Two or three of Pedro Pajes' home runs were shots. I mean, he smoked them. Uh, 400-something foot shots. And uh, that's 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 to say, like, when you look at the whole picture, it, it paints a relatively fair image of his season, but it only tells part of the narrative that needs to be said. Um, and th- that's more him as a, as a hitter. And something that I tend to overvalue is a player's ability to hit um, but that's, I've got a whole theory about that, but anyways, so that's him as a hitter. Uh, and if you want, I can continue on to ramble about his defense, but did you have any? So, uh, one thing I, I want to make clear is I screwed up on the day. Uh, I 2020 got away from me. So he was actually 20 years old in 2019. I was thinking that was the prior season. So he was only one year younger, but he was two. Um, so he was 2020 or sorry, 22 last year. He'll be 23 this year. Um, while Kyle was talking, uh, kind of just brought to my mind, like, it seems like he's at his best when he lets the game come to him. And, and you know, that, that does seem like a lot of players because these are the most talented players in the world when they're getting to this level. He was at um, high A last year. So we're talking, what, like a thousand people ahead of him and that's about it. So um, maybe 1,500 in the yeah. entire world that are literally ahead of where he's at at the moment. Uh, so that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, real fast. Um, so yeah, and, and, as, we t- as we talk about 2020, uh, just to kind of give uh, a little bit more idea of what 2020 maybe cost him, uh, other than to see the struggle he had at the beginning of 2021, he ended the year at short season state college. Um, more than likely had 2020 begun, he would have been at low A Peoria when Peoria was low A. But at, at the end of uh, 2020, when 2020 began, began, uh, but more than likely at the end of 2020, he would have been at high A Palm Beach. And there's there's an outside chance, depending on how everything went with the guys ahead of him, uh, uh, Nick Raposo, uh, Aaron Antonini, maybe even Zade Richardson, who's obviously a little bit lower than him on my list and kind of lower than him on the depth chart. But the guys ahead of him, uh, there's a real chance that he would have at least tasted double A last year had the 2020 season gone or gone as planned. So uh, just to, I just wanted to give a little context there about like, not only do these guys lose development time in a competitive environment, they're also losing a chance at promotions at levels that they might otherwise be at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that does put into perspective for me, at least, even uh, the, the 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 losses that players had that maybe weren't foreseen, um, uh, not necessarily even by Major League Baseball, but by circumstance. Yeah. Um, do you have anything real quick about his defense? Is he going to be an Ivan Herrera, Carson Kelly, Andrew Kisner, less than that, more than that? Uh, yeah, I think I framing, think right now. Yeah, yeah just I think quick about framing. Uh, arm footwork all that 
Yeah, he he's uh he's a little slow, little slow going side to side, little slow uh popping up. Uh but he has a really good arm and he can make up for some slow pitchers. I wouldn't say that it grades out as plus, like, you know, it's not a 60 grade arm or anything like that. It's probably closer to like, you know, average 50, maybe 45, depending on how tired he is, um, you know, depending on how much uh, lower half leverage he can get out of his crouch. Uh, but there's also sometimes where he flashes way above uh, for whatever reason, maybe he's anticipating, uh, but it's just a really good arm. And, you know, that, that stands out. Also, I know um, he he's a good game caller and the pitchers love him uh, for whatever reason, I, whether it be the pitches he calls or just the kind of guy he is. And th- that goes a long way. Scouting question for you. Yeah. When you say he might have a 45 or 50 arm, is that compared to other catchers? Yeah. Yeah. Just um, I'm speaking specifically about catchers. You know, I, I think, I think I'm being optimistic. And one thing I, uh, I always say when I talk about catchers is it's the position I evaluate the worst. I am, I over, and we'll find out with prospect number three of on Herrera uh, when we get there, but uh, I, I've always overvalued catchers and it's because I have such respect for the position. And I also don't think that even I, uh, as maybe it sounds like I'm talking down to Cardinal fans and I don't mean it to be that way. Uh, but I don't think we realize how hard it is to be even something as simple as a below average major league backup catcher. It's rare and it's valuable. And I don't think we give that position enough credit. Uh, so uh, I tend to maybe be a little bit more aggressive about evaluating these guys and ranking them on my list because of the importance of the position, even in that that very unheralded level of quote unquote success. Uh, so I do think Pages has a Pages has the potential to be a major league caliber backup catcher who, uh, you know hits a little bit here and there. He has a lot of work to do. He has to get himself in better shape. Uh, and I, I don't know how realistic it is, but I like him and that bat is better than, than I think people realize. Awesome. Let's move on to the second position player. We'll talk about today. Uh, outfielder, Matt Kaperniak. Um, he's a new name to me as of this season. I feel like, um, he is a kid who, uh, is about to turn 24 years old in February. He has been playing for the Cardinals for just this year. So 2021 was his first year in the minors. He made three stops. And and I just remember at the very beginning of the year, and we talked about him a little bit on the last podcast, but early in the season, when you were gifting minor league games, I I just felt like, Every other tweet was about him. And then I looked up his stats and he made stops in Palm Beach, then Peoria, then Springfield this year. And and in Palm Beach, he was there for a good couple months. He played 58 games there, 228 plate appearances, and he was 55% above league average offensively. And then he only stopped for four games in uh, in Peoria, but he had a 222 WRC plus. So he was 122% better than league average there. Now, granted that's 18 plate appearances. So it was a hot streak. Um, when he got to Springfield, finally, um, pitchers were able to slow him down and he was about a league average hitter, just barely below, um, ended his season though. Um, ended his season with, uh, 30 plus extra base hits in, less than 400 plate appearances, ended his season with almost 50 runs scored, 
almost almost 40 RBI or just over 40 RBI. What do we know about Matt Kaperniak? I know he he started the year a little bit below league average age and ended the year a little, or sorry, started the year well above league average age and ended the year right around average. Um, what, what else do we know about Matt? I think uh, one thing that I want to take from that last sentence that you brought up about being a little bit above league average age and then, you know, being a little bit below league average age. One of the things that has been a through line through what is now three podcasts of this is the uneven talent at Palm Beach um, at the low A level. And I, I want that to, I want to use Kaperniak as that illustration because, you know, he still, my guess is if you were looking at Peoria a couple of years back when Peoria was a low A affiliate uh, before they moved to high A, that he was probably league average, if not maybe just a kick below. Uh, hard to say, but that's how, that's how like uneven the talent at Palm Beach was. It's not to take away from anything from the guys who are really good at Palm Beach. I don't mean that hitters or pitchers, uh, but just to kind of give perspective there. Uh, what I know about Matt Kaperniak, to kind of give you an idea, like a juxtaposition. So the Cardinals, uh, Matt, the, the 2020 draft was five rounds, right? Uh, they shortened it. It was only five rounds because of COVID, blah, blah, blah. Matt Kaperniak went undrafted. Another outfielder that the Cardinals uh, signed uh, as an undrafted free agent from the 2020 draft was a kid named Matt Chamberlain. Uh, another left-handed swinger. And Chamberlain started the year at Peoria. Um, Kaperniak started the year a level lower at Palm Beach. And my guess is, and I don't know this for a fact, I haven't even asked, I've never even really thought about it until now, but my guess is that the reason that um, Chamberlain started a level higher is Chamberlain is so fast, and he's such a sure-handed defensive outfielder, uh, and He's kind of a scrappy guy who can foul off a lot of pitches, uh, uh, even though he's not as good as Matt Kaperniak. And Matt Kaperniak is just a bigger, stronger, not quite as fast, um, better plate discipline with a better contact tool version of Matt Chamberlain. Uh, these two kids at the Cardinals draft are assigned as undrafted free agents. Kaperniak is a left-handed swinger who does most of his damage up the middle and pole on, on the pole side. He's not going to ever hit for a lot of home runs. But what his swing reminds me of, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I believe I say he's like Hunter Pence without without all the psychosis. And what I mean by that is it's like the same similar swing path. There isn't a whole lot of frill to it. Uh, of course, one's right-handed, one's left-handed. Uh, but he, it's just like it's that quick, direct, get the bat around in the zone, you know, don't overexert your lower half. Don't overexert your head. Keep everything in one spot. Swing on the axis. Get the bat around. Try to hit the ball. Uh, try not to do too much with it. Just try to hit the ball. And I know that his plate discipline is really good uh, because when, even when he wasn't hitting after he got promoted to double A, he was still getting on base like 32% of the time, which isn't a huge deal. Of course, you're thinking, oh, anybody who gets on base, you know, has an on-base percentage of uh, uh, 320 is, you know, what is that? Like, what are we even talking about? How are we excited about that? Uh, but just like with a lot of these kids, Kaperniak really started to get it together after his first two weeks or so uh, at, at Double A. And that's what encouraged me. You know, he had, uh, again, I don't have the stats in front of me, but over like his last three weeks or four weeks at double a he hit 300 he had a 300 a 380 on base percentage he was starting to hit for extra bases he you know he, he was striking out a little bit more but he got his wrc plus back up to a, a well above respectable level it wasn't just 100 it was like 125 or 130 somewhere around there somewhere up there and 
again, the 90 whatever plate appearances, the, what we'll call it 100 plate appearances that he had at Springfield, just go to show you how difficult it is to gauge such a small sample. Uh, uh, I was encouraged by how he ended the year. Now, he lucked into some hits. I'm not going to uh, – one thing, you know, for me, when you watch that the stat sheet won't tell you is he lucked into hits. There were times where he just – because he he stays in the zone long – for a long time, there were there were times where he just like nub a ball and it just would find the spot in the infield where he could beat the ball out to first. Now, he doesn't have great speed or he doesn't have elite speed or anything like that. He is your average quickness outfielder. Uh, so he did luck into some hits, um, but he's just he's a really solid kid who looks a little bit more tentative out in the outfield than he needs to be. You know, it just seems like he doesn't want to make a mistake out there. And I think that if he could work through that, which is reasonable, you know, you're talking about an undrafted free agent uh, who all of a sudden is playing at double A, um, you know, for 22, for 33 games or 50 games or 40 games, whatever it is at the end of the year. Like, you just don't want to make a mistake. You're trying to do your best to not look bad and you try to make an impression at the same time. You want to make good decisions. And the good decision when you're an outfielder is to not you know, do crazy stuff, you know, especially in that circumstance. So uh, anyways, you can see the talent out in the outfield specifically. He just hasn't really displayed it uh, full throttle yet. Um, but look, that's that's a hit tool. Um, we, we as we teased in the last podcast, Ben, if you were to ask me about who the emerging bat is in the Cardinals organization, you know, if you were to ask me who's going to be next year's Lars Newtbar, the guy that I would steer you to is Matt Kaperniak. Uh Again, I don't... I don't know if he's going to be a fourth outfielder or a solid fourth outfielder or uh, be able to continue to evolve his approach to the point where he has such good plate discipline and pitch recognition that Lars Newtbar showed in 2021. And we'll see if that continues on um, and that he has shown in the past, of course. Uh, but I think that that's where Matt Kaperniak is. I think if I was asked to pick the next Lars Newtbar in the organization, a kid who flew underneath the radar until all of a sudden he was making a major league debut and maybe hitting the ball just a little bit. Uh, I would say Matt Kaperniak uh, might just be that kid. Um, I will say Matt, Matt Kaperniak was a kid. I'm just looking it up now. He went to Trinity college in Connecticut and just looking at his stats there, he just crushed the ball. I mean, not home runs, but I mean, he hit 388 one year, 394 one year, had 476 or better OBPs two years, had 620 or better sluggings for two years in a cold weather environment. I mean, so he comes across hitting naturally, it seems. Um, it's something that uh, that that he's done for a while and seems to be good at. Um, I'm kind of excited to see see where he could lead in the in, in the next couple of years. Uh, see if he can make that major league debut and 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 be some be a contributor at least. That's, he's that's he's he's kind of caught um, somewhat between where Justin Turner was a couple of years ago and what Lars Newbar became, uh, and. I think it's fun. Like this is part of the fun that I have in watching these kids and evaluating them and seeing the progress they make in off seasons. Because you know, to be to be honest, Justin Turner was a twenty whatever round draft pick uh, in twenty eighteen for the Cardinals, who uh, you know got aggressively promoted to Springfield and deserved it in twenty nineteen as a left handed swinger and a ballsy outfielder, like a really really great great outfielder. Um, 
and then, you know, ran into a wall trying to catch a ball and jumped over a couple walls catching balls in Tulsa. But, uh, you know, his season ended in 2019 on like August 13th or something like that because he went as hard as you could possibly go into the outfield wall and it ended the season. Kaepernick uh, is some combination of Justin Turner and Lars Newbar. One last question about Kaepernick, and then we'll move to the pitcher on the list. Um, just one word answer: If he, if you, you said his best outfield spot is where uh, left field right now, with the potential to be right. Okay, cool. Um, at number twenty-eight on the list is the only pitcher we will talk about in this episode. Um, if I, I'm going to do a bunch of quick questions on him, and then let you get into them. But if I remember correctly, Austin Love was one of the 2021 draft choices that you were most excited about this year. Correct? Yeah. You mentioned how being at number 28 is a fairly conservative placement for him on the dirty 35 or dirty 40 uh, for where you think that he could have been. How high did you consider putting him in all the versions of this year's dirty 40 that you had? Oh, uh, you know, I think at one point I had him and both the next guy we're going to talk about in like 15 and 16. Uh, and I was getting a little bit more aggressive. Um, at, at various points, they were both in like the, the next group of prospects and I think it would be fair to put them in the next group of prospects. And I think more than likely, that's probably where both of these guys deserve to be. Um, but yeah, so right in that group. Okay. I know he threw he threw 110 innings in 2021, but 102 of them were at the University of North Carolina. Only eight were within the organization. Um, was Is it the exposure to him that makes you more conservative? It is, uh, yeah, so there, there's a couple things in his 2021 collegiate season. You know, he he was a relief pitcher in 2019 and didn't pitch in 2020 except for a little bit at the beginning of the trip, uh, the NCAA season. And then they heaved a heavy workload on him at, at, at NC uh, North Carolina, UNC. And at one of those starts, he threw like 130 pitches. Um uh, he he went above 100 pitches a couple different times in those starts, you know, and I hate that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hate that. I hate knowing that. Now, let that speak to how much of a bulldog this kid is. This kid is exciting to watch. Austin Love is – he is so much fun to watch, and his stuff is electric. It really is. His changeup is coming along, but his slider-fastball combo is electric. Um, and he he's not the kind of kid you're going to be able to pull off the mound easy – and he he rises to the occasion. He's a big game pitcher. At least he was in college. All of those things really work for him. But uh, you know, call me too new age, not enough old school. But um, I, I just think about all the pitchers in the past that pitch hundred, like throw one hundred and thirty pitches in the in a college game, and even like in a high profile college game. And I worry about that. I'm I'm happy that the Cardinals handle these things the way that they do. Uh, they handle it right. No reason to rush the college drafted arms, especially the college drafted arms that have innings on them of the season that they're drafted. Uh, that's the way to be. But uh, and, and I'm glad that he he didn't pitch a lot. I'm glad that he's not pitching now exactly, other than his off season stuff. I just worry about it. I'm not. I, I just worry about it because all the other pitchers that I can think of that have had a game like that, and then additional 100 plus pitch games and throw with the velocity. <laughs> And the energy that he throws with, it's never really turned out well. Uh, and, and on top of that, I just wanted to give him a chance. You know, give him a chance to work into it. So Austin Love threw 78 pitches to just 27 batters um, once he reached the Cardinals um, minor leagues. Um, 
five of the innings, 17 of the batters were in uh, that Florida Developmental League, whatever they called that this year. And then three of the innings and 10 of the batters were in A-ball. Um, so Palm Beach, still down in Florida. He struck out 48% of the batters face, 13 out of 27. And he recorded a ground ball rate over 60%. Um, what is his pitch mix that that got this these great results in such a small sample? Uh, it's a four seam slider changeup. And uh, it's it's mostly the fastball slider, and it's mostly overpowering because he has that short arm slot, uh, you know, uh, that short arm angle. He kind of like not short arms it, but he has that buildup. You know, I'm left-handed, and I'm this is going to be a podcast, and I'm doing video uh, right now with Ben. But you know, he he comes set, and when he builds up, it comes from here. Uh, so the ball's behind his head. And it's not the over the top. Like when I used to throw, I was my arm angle, you know, my arm angle was here uh, and then around, which is a little bit almost three quarters. It's a little over the top, a little three quarters. For him, it's that behind the head, in the ear, and then boom, right on the right on the, the hitter with incredible arm speed and okay. uh, a ton of deception that comes with it. So those those kids at the those the, the complex league didn't stand a chance. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I'll be really interested to see probably when he gets to more of that double A level then to yeah. see see what kind of outs he's getting there. And I think uh, I think that there's a precedence that he's going to start at double A. If I have my guess. Ooh. Based, cool. Based on uh based on where Payante started this year. And again, the 2023 2020 loss season kind of changes it. You know, I if the 2020 season started, there's a good chance Andre Payante uh would have been at high A to start the 2020 season and then at double A to start 2021. Uh, but you just never know. I, I think that, pardon me, I think they're going to be aggressive with love. Cool. All right. Anything else about love before we get to our second of three outfielders? No, shout out to B love, Brian love on Twitter. He's one of my guys. Go on. There you go. Uh, so the second of three outfielders on this podcast is number 27 on your list. He is another new drafty in Ryan Holgate. He uh, was taken right before Love, uh, so that was the second round, if I remember correctly. And um, he's debuting on the Dirty Flirty, right, Dirty Forty, right ahead of Love. Holgate was a power hitter out of Arizona, um, and basically at this point we're delving into knowledge beyond mine. So um, I'll just read off some stats real quick and then let Kyle take over on him. He played thirty games uh, down in Palm Beach, tough hitters environment. Uh, about 130 plate appearances, walked over 10% of the time, but struck out well over th- a third of the time. Um, did not show much of his power at ISO under 100, uh, 60 WRC plus. So he really struggled to hit the ball, it seems like, um, at least in the short sample. Uh, what do you got on Ryan Holgate? Yeah, his game is built on power. Uh, most people at draft time view him as like the poor man's Trevor Larnick, uh, a first round draft pick out of, by the Minnesota Twins. A couple years back. Speaking of which, Holgate was drafted by the Twins yeah. in the 2018 draft in round 32 and didn't sign. Yeah. Yeah. And also a little bit more about Holgate. He was a supplemental pick. He's the Cardinals pick for the competitive balance. Okay. So that's, uh, you know, for the Cardinals being a, uh, a, you know, below market team or whatever the hell they call it these days. This is the pick that the Cardinals, <laughs> the Cardinals were allowed to make. But yeah, um, I, you know, I watch him at Arizona and 
this is a little bit different than love. Holgate's a little bit different than love. Um, I'm being conservative with love because I do think that he has a potential to be a top 10 or 10, top 15 prospect in the organization. I just want to see how he looks like after he gets some rest. Um, I, I think that that potential is there with love with Holgate. I have him a little bit lower because even though at draft time, I, I saw a lot of pundits talk about his advanced bat. Uh, I think I'm not as sold on his approach being advanced just yet. And I'm, I'm also concerned about what kind of damage he's going to do against lefties. I, I worry about his swing path uh, and specifically his upper body when he swings against lefties. I think he gets a little cagey and I think he flies open and I think he swings with his hands more than his body. And I think that that works against him, but I haven't seen enough to really be able to say, Oh, just the highlights I'm seeing are telling me this, or this is something that he's doing all the time. Uh, so uh, what I see is I see a relatively large size hole in his swing. Uh, but I also see that tremendous off the charts power. Uh, maybe some of the, again, because of his, how bad his ISO was in 2021, we might not talk enough about his power, but he he has real power. I mean, he has light tower power. It's in there and it's in game. And there's more in the tank because of how beautiful and power generating and kinetic that swing can be. It's just, I'm not there yet. Uh, and I haven't seen enough of him yet. Uh, and what I've seen of him seems unbalanced to me that I'm practicing caution because of that. Um Th- that that's where I'm at with Holgate. I- I've heard conflicting reports about the type of runner he is and about the type of fielder he is. Uh, I will say that I, as I wrote in the write-up of, of Ryan Holgate, I don't have my mind made up one way or the other. He's one of those kids that I know I'm going to have to see in person. Uh, that's uh, sometimes it's just that simple. Uh, it's not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to watch him on television. Uh, I'm going to have to go and actually watch him because when I watch him now, when I watch him run the bases, when I watch him out in the outfield, I see both sides of the argument. I, I see the clunky kid uh, that is not a good base, not a good base runner, not a good runner, uh, is a smart kid with a high baseball IQ, but you know he's like the 2018 Matt Carpenter burning bases. You know, uh, maybe a little faster than that. You know, as a 21 or 22 year old would be, uh, but he's just he's clunky. Uh, and then sometimes he looks. Like he can handle, he can handle it. Uh, but I haven't seen enough to really feel one way or the other. So uh, I, there, there are a lot of questions here that I still would like to answer with Ryan Holgate, and that's why he's where he's at. I also feel like the next guy on the list, which I'm going to slide into if you're okay yeah. with it, is number 26, Jan Torres or John Torres. I feel like a lot of questions for me regarding him too. And, and, and maybe it's because I don't watch as many games as you do. And maybe it's because he's kind of got that same trajectory sort of that Holgate does. So Cardinals traded uh, with the Cleveland, then Indians, now guardians uh, to get, um, to get Jan Torres. Uh, Torres had 226 plate appearances back in 2017 he hadn't had that many in a single season since the Cardinals traded for him until this year when he got 420 plate appearances. Um, I thought that power was the kind of the thing to talk about with him as well, but uh, only six home runs this year, but he did put up 25 doubles. Um, you kind of get into a whole bunch of minutiae on him <laughs> in the article. Um, uh, I thought it was really 
well parsed out. Uh, go ahead and give us a little bit about Torres and then kind of wrap up this group of five. Yeah, uh, it was a really uneven season for, for Jan, John Torres. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people call him John Torres, but I, I, my guess is that he's Americanized his own name to make it easier on people. Uh, totally not fair for me to project that, but I'm pretty like I could see that happening. I'll probably continue to call him Jan uh, until I'm told otherwise. Um, it was just an uneven season and he's still young. Like we've been talking about him. We've been talking about Torres now for years, uh, but he's still entering his age 22 season. Uh, the the prospect that he was traded for Oscar Mercado didn't come into his own until he was at double a in, in 20 until, until his age 22, 23 season at double a. And I think that's what we're going to see from Torres in 2022. I think he's poised for a big breakout season uh, at the beginning of the year. That he was asked to lead off. He led off for a Peoria for most of the year. That was a design, from what I understand, to have him sing more pitches, to work more counts, to maybe work walks into his game more. And it yielded some uneven results. But at the beginning of June, the second month of the season, he started incorporating more power. He was still kind of hitting doubles, but he started incorporating more power. And you could see his swing was harder, and it was better and his pitch recognition, and it was all coming together. You could see a guy who was walking 8-ish percent at the minor league level uh, that was only going to strike out about 16 to 18 to 20 to 21 percent of the time, uh, which only, but, you know, that's acceptable uh, with the amount of extreme athleticism he has and with that swing that he has and with the fact that he can use the gaps as well as he has and can hit for doubles. But he went through a uh, like an over 20 slump and he tried. You could see that he tried so hard to revert back to the hitter that was getting on track, uh, and that was on track. That he was getting mixed up. You could you could see it in the at bats. You could see the half-hearted swings. You could see uh, a little bit choppier mechanics. You could see him because he's got a, a relatively big leg kick that he's worked on for years. You could see that leg kick getting smaller and smaller, and starting earlier and earlier, and then maybe starting a little bit later. He was trying so hard to adjust. And it just wasn't working for him. It, nothing was working for him. And then he got he started getting hot again towards the end of the year and went through another really bad slump. And he did the opposite. It was like it was like he was overcorrecting from the lessons that he had learned from that slump earlier in the year that got him out of his hot streak. And it was like, all right, I'm not I'm not going to change anything now. I, I, I'm just going to stick with it, and it's going to work. And it did not work. He ended the season very very poorly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's John Torres. Sounds like early career Yachty Molina in terms of all those changes. Yeah. A lot of kids, you know, honestly, early career, Delvin Perez, early career, Oscar Mercado, early career, Nick Plummer, Bryce Denton. Um, like you, I love the way that you started this episode. We were talking about maybe having with Pedro Pajes, maybe having 1500 people at levels above him. Uh, that's that's how elite that talent is. And that's how much you have to adjust and learn on the fly. And, uh, you know, that's a tough assignment. High A, even though it's Peoria and it's not double A, that is a really, really tough assignment. And some kids can get away with yanking balls down the line and padding their home run stats. And then when they get to the next level, double A, they might be in a league where their home run stats translate because some of those parks are smaller and the ball flies a little bit more. And then they hit triple A and they might be in a league where triple A is kind of aggressive. And then when they hit the majors, they hit a wall because their, their home runs and their power have been illusory. Uh, That's not the case with John Torres. He uses the gaps. He is a gap hitter. He'll hit a home run to the left field gap. He'll hit a home run to the right field gap. Ah, yes. Gap. Uh, It is, it is 
he like it's all in there for him. He needs to continue to get bigger and stronger, and he needs to decide what kind of hitter he wants to be because I believe that he's just going to have to swing more, and he's he's going to have to swing aggressively, uh, not swing for contact. I think that that's the worst thing that he can do. I feel like that's what I saw when he wasn't good, and I just want him to like locate his pitch and hammer at it because I believe that that's the best thing for him. And my reasoning for that is every time that I've seen him do well, that's what he is doing. Who do you think in this, uh, maybe an unanswerable question, who do you think would be the best hitting coach within the organization for him to go be at that level? Not necessarily what's the best level for him, but maybe the best thing for him would be getting together with that guy. Yeah, it's Tiger Peterson at double A. I want all of these guys to spend as much time with Tiger Peterson as possible. Okay. Cool. All right, uh, so give us a quick wrap on the four position players and one pitcher, and we will uh, we will move on to the next endeavor. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, I, I like all these guys a lot. Um, remember, they're all, the, the fun thing about this group is that they're all they're all relatively young, and they're all going to be entering a very important part of their career. Um, none of these guys are low A guys, right? So you're talking about. Uh, Pajes, Kaperniak, and Torres, who will probably all be at double A at the at the, the lowest level. There's a chance Love is at double A, and Holgate will probably start at Peoria, would be my guess. Uh now the Cardinals don't make up their mind on this stuff. They have a they have like written in pencil. When they have minor league spring training, which will probably just be regular spring training this year, at least to start, uh, that that's when they'll start doling out the assignments. These guys will have a chance to win a spot um uh, at, at an advanced level. But I think all, what all five of these guys have in common is that by the end of the 2022 season, they'll all have spent time at Springfield. So this is an advanced, a relatively advanced, although um, maybe not practically uh, like practical production yet, uh, like with Jan Torres or Pedro Pajes. They all have that potential and they all have high potential uh, hitters from an offensive standpoint and Austin Love, the pitcher from a pitching standpoint. They're just not all quite there yet, and they all do it somewhat of a different way. So on the last episode, I teased that this episode was a group of five that I was much more excited about than the last group of five. And I think Kyle very eloquently put into reasons why I'm more excited about these guys after reading his write-ups than I was for the previous group. Um, So we are now uh, 15 out of 40, so we are getting uh, a bit of the way through. We are nearly 40% of the way through our group of 40 that we're going to talk about in these first few podcasts of the crossover. Uh, For Kyle Reese and Ben Cerruti, uh, we are going to record episode four very soon, uh, and I will hopefully keep getting these out to you. Uh, My goal is if I can get all these to you by Christmas, that'll be our Christmas present to you uh, listeners. So, Everybody have a wonderful night, and we will talk to you next time.